Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sandcast. We are back in quarantine, and uh, we're we're going international today, ladies and gentlemen. We're going all the way to Italy to get uh, one of the one of the greats, Mike Lambo Lambert. Mike, how we doing? How's it, everyone? I'm doing good. Right on. Good to be on the show. Yeah, I was. Oh, I felt a little. I wanted to give you like the full Geeter intro right there, but I just don't have it. <laughs> yeah. There's only one guy that has that, right? What, what, what if he used to say like Lambo by day, Lamborghini by night or something like that? Yeah, it was, he started saying it, but it was, um, there, there's a story behind that one. So let's hear it. I, it was back in the years where I would, um, I was playing, indoor in Italy during the winter. So I was still like an indoor guy and I just kind of stopped doing national team stuff during the summer. Mm-hmm. And, or maybe I was doing the national team years. Anyway, basically, um, I went over, I, when I was done with college, I went over to Italy. I brought my bag of stuff, which is what you do when you're out of college. You don't have much mm-hmm. goodwill furniture and some clothes and some vans and some corduroys and some flannels. That's kind of how it was back then. And uh, my teammates were in Italy were all my first year were all like these younger guys and super cool. And they took me in and under their wing and they're like, Oh yeah, here's the American. And they wanted, you know, they took me out everywhere they went. And so we're going, you know, they want to go out a couple nights or often these guys want to go out. So like, all right, Mike, you know, we're done with practice, go home and change. You know, we're, we're going to go out. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I've changed. You know, <laughs> this is what I have. Corduroy, some bands, a hat. And a flannel. They're like, no, we got to do something about this. We got to, you know, I became their project. So then I started getting fitted with these collar shirts that were too tight with the three buttons and the super long cuffs and the tight jeans that were going way up the crotch and the, and the pointy boots. And I felt like a, like a, like a peacock, you know, you feel like, oh my God, <laughs> I would never wear this, you know, <laughs> For sure. But then you go, you go out and all of a sudden you're catching a look over here. You're catching a look over there. You're like, Hey, you know, it's actually kind of working. All right. I'll roll with it. And by the end of the season, you don't even know, you know, you just, you, that's what you have. That's, that's your new wardrobe. And then, so yeah, you, you know, the season's over, you got about two weeks to go do whatever you want before you get a show up for national team practice. So I, I'd go to like the Hermosa beach. I had friends there. Um, and I just wanted to go have fun and party and, you know, just see some friends and all that. And they're like, okay, Mike, Hey, good. You're back in town. Great. Let's go out. We're going to, <laughs> we're going to Hermosa Pier. And again, you're traveling nomad, right? And I just have a duffel bag and I look inside for my going out clothes. <laughs> it's like the pony boots. It's the shirt with the stripes and the collar and the cuff. And I show up at like Sharkies or something. And they're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. <laughs> Lambo by day, but look at the, he's the Lamborghini at night. And then it just kind of, it just stuck from there. It was. <laughs> That's great. So we do have a Geeter introduction. You just, you just gave us the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. That's Geeter great. the one that came up with that? Uh, it, Geeter was definitely the one on the megaphone or the microphone uh, yeah. pumping that up. But yeah, it was kind of that uh yeah you know back then that was fun those are fun years you yeah know, this been, was uh, before Geeter's all famous now right he's on the he's doing the liquor stuff he's doing that but back then he was you know still cutting his teeth and um dreaming of of doing the job that he's doing now 
so it's super cool to see him where he is now because it's like we always said like god you gotta be doing the lakers you know so much about them and he was always so good um we were convinced that he was the right man for the job and lo and behold he's you know exactly where he uh, should be so super cool how, how sometimes uh destiny works itself out right totally yeah, we, we had Geeter on the show a couple months ago, and I think that's probably the, the most laughs per minute ratio we've had on the podcast. I was rolling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's good, man. He's so good. Yeah, during a... Go ahead, Dry. No, I was just saying, so many one-liners from that guy. He can just, like, spout off. He just remembers, like, everyone's back story, and, like, so good. Off the top of his head, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and you gotta. Did you talk about like the, how he got into announcing in the very, like the very, very, very beginning of it? Yeah, uh, I think we, I don't know if we got to the very beginning, but I did hear that it was from The Price is Right, was, was part of that beginning story. Yeah, <laughs> you can see his personality there. And then somehow he got thrown the mic and had to call a game like down in Mexico or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, his, his good buddy, um, Matt Unger, who was also a setter at uh, Cal State Northridge, um, was playing. And he just, uh, you know, we all know him as Matty O, but back then it was, Geeter had the microphone and he was trying to get the crowd going. And when I say Matty, you say, oh, Matty, oh, Matty, oh. And so <laughs> he got it going and the whole crowd apparently loved it. And everyone's like, wow, I think you might have a future here. You know? <laughs> yeah, we got into some of those stories. It's, it's pretty great. Cool. What should we talk about? I mean, try you're you're from Hawaii. I'm from Hawaii. I know your mom. You know she was my PE teacher back in the day. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. She did. She told me that. I was stoked when I when I heard that back in high school. Oh yeah, Mike Lambert. That's sick. But um, you didn't go to UH Lab though, right? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I went to AOP. AOP. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's the reaction I usually get if if people know what AOP is. Yeah, and uh, for the viewers or the listeners, uh, Tri's mom was a total stud, you know. So what was she like? How many sports did she do? I mean, she didn't just do one, right? She was, uh, what was her kind of specialty? She did like, I mean, like marathon every year. And then uh, she was on the World Champs paddling crew uh, doing the Molokai and jumping in on triathlons here and there with my dad and then like full-time PE teacher teaching all the wow. at UH lab. Well, wow. so I don't, uh, and so your dad was a triathlete as well. Yeah. Dad was a, well, he was like a football player in college. And then, um, he got into like try a uh, multi-sport and he just like fell in love with that. So my whole childhood was him doing that stuff. My mom doing other crazy endurance stuff, but none of us wow. like the endurance. We're just like, nah, <laughs> yeah yeah I wanna, I'll, i'd rather jump really high for like three seconds and then have like a nice 10 second break and then do that. <laughs> they're, they're all into like the ultra races like running for like three days straight kind of thing mm-hmm. it's insane that's like, cool you know standard hawaii uh childhood just sports everywhere and you know how that goes yeah yeah for sure and and tyler i didn't uh travis i don't uh this is the first time we're meeting. Yeah. Um, I saw, I was like, who's this Travis guy? He wants to do a podcast, you know, so, or uh, whatnot, uh, a show. So I saw like one or two videos of you uh, that, that you got going and it was just like kind of showing up. You were about to go play in some 
four men in snow or something crazy <laughs> like that. What's going on with the volleyball world? Four men in snow. What are you guys doing? You got the McKibben brothers. They're all over the place, traveling the world. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I guess there's so many different paths you can take as a, as a quote unquote pro volleyball player. Right. And I think it's just cool to see all these different things that you guys are doing and trying. And, um, you know, it's, it's cool to watch cause you get to see all, you get to meet a ton of new people, right. For, uh, for you guys, you travel the world and just see volleyball, you know, not just played as the two men, you know, FIVB tour or ABP tour. There's all these other things going on. So I think it's just, it's rad cause the game is great. You know I mean? The four man grade is fun to play. It's, uh, so it looks a little different though, because the way you guys are playing four man, tell me, explain to me. Cause I, I did one summer, there was this tour back in the day called the Bud Light four man tour. Yeah. And it was some beach guys, but mostly like indoor guys playing. And it was a lot of work. Cause it was like, you had your middles running quicks yeah. and you were blocking with three at the net, but I see you guys more like blocking two at the net and not, you know, is it that way or am I just, well, I, I don't know, because so me and Try have I, I don't know when the last time you played four-man is, Try maybe back in the outrigger days. but um, I just played six-man. The, so the McKibbins went to uh, the – it was the McKibbins and Casey Patterson, Troy Field, uh, Taylor, Taylor Crab and Brian Cook, and they went to Doha for these, like, uh, World Beach Championships. And it was like an Olympic Games for beach sports, sort of. There was, like – Yeah, yeah, I saw some of those. Yeah. I saw so, a couple of those matches. So it looked like what the McKibbins and, and they did there and they ended up winning instead of our girls. Um, they did like, they had a middle, so they had Brian running middle and then they had sort of like two outsides. So if it got set to the left side, you'd have Brian move over and you'd have two blockers and, and your right sider would shift back in defense. Um, so yeah. they ran kind of like a diamond format of sorts. Right, right, right. Yeah. But, but, but snow was awesome. That was actually uh, the only time I've been to Italy was because of snow volleyball. So USA like put out an email and was like, does anybody want to play snow volleyball in these two events in Austria and Italy? And um, so my, Eric Zahn called me and he was like, you want to do this? I was like, well, do we have to like pair away there? And he said, no, everything's covered. I was like, why wouldn't, <laughs> why wouldn't I go do that? It sounds awesome. So yeah, so we just played snow volleyball at like these ski resorts. We went up to um, Kronplatz in italy i don't know how far i don't well, where in italy do you live because that was like on the italy austria border yeah I'm, I'm in like central like uh in tuscany kind of near florence so okay. that's all to the north where the, yeah, where the so nice we were, mountains are yeah we were far but so yes yeah, so we played snow volleyball in, in the mountains of italy because at that point just why not <laughs> wow that's so rad yeah so volleyball just takes you places I mean, is it cold or can you actually play or once you're warm, you're just, you're fine. Well, it was, it was really funny. Cause like, so our first event was in Austria and it was like 60 degrees, but they, and they had it in the middle of this, of a mountain, which was a ski resort. And so the snow was just kind of slushy, but they kept pumping it in cause it was man-made snow. And so we were in tank tops and shorts. And then in Italy, the day of what was supposed to be the qualifier, there was a blizzard. And so they had to camp, they had to like postpone it because there was too much snow. Like the snow came up to the very bottom of the net. And like, so they were, they were blowing the snow out of the courts just so it, to make it playable. So the conditions varied pretty wildly. <laughs> wow. That's, that sounds crazy. Not for yeah. me. I like, <laughs> in the water down here, 
I come out and my fingertips are numb. I can't even feel my hands. I yeah, us, us, us Hawaiians. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> the coldest place I had ever been before I went to the mainland was the was when I snuck into the freezer at Costco. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. That's as cold as it gets in Hawaii, right? <laughs> the first time I ever saw my breath. <laughs> When's the last oh, time man. you played any Lambo? Do you still get out there a little bit? No, no, I don't play at all. I did a little coaching with I, we have, with our two kids, our girl, our daughter, and our son. But now he's kind of doing the soccer thing, and she's kind of doing the dance thing. So um, uh, no volleyball where we are. Uh, and personally, I haven't played since I kind of I really did stop kind of cold turkey. Um, like in 2008, you know, I had like I had this knee surgery, and then it kind of became um like a cartilage thing and once you lose cartilage in your knee you're kind of like hosed so it was at that point it was like okay i just gotta stop cold turkey and i <clears throat> i didn't want to like be stubborn and keep playing and then be have a really really bad knee so i was like just screw it it was kind of hard it was hard to walk away because you, you know i wasn't like towards the end of the career I, I, I felt like i was still in it you know trying to go to the olympics actually you know and then all of a sudden you don't get anything it's like oh so that would have been a fun story because you were playing with your boy Stein and you guys were so Steino. <laughs> Steino, he was so fun to play with. Yeah, I, you know, looking back, I, I feel super fortunate. Um started off playing with uh Lee Legrand, another Hawaiian. Yeah. Uh who's who's out there trying to sell somebody a home in Manhattan Beach right now. And then <laughs> he says he says I started his career because when we were playing together, he kind of had, he was one foot in, one foot out, like, you know, yeah, I'll play some tournaments, but man, I'm trying to start this other thing, you know, yeah. a career. And I was like, you gotta be in or you're out. You know, he was just like, I think at that point, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to go do something else. <laughs> but, you know, it worked out well for him. Um, and then I got to play with Karch, which was just all time. And we could talk about that. And then I got to play with my, you know, the guy, uh, who he and I would, would pretend to be carts when we were, you know, little groms uh, on baby court and, and at the outrigger in Hawaii. So, yeah, it was fun. Um, Steino was, let's talk about that guy. He was fun because um, who are you? Who are your listeners, by the way, just so I know, have kind of know who I'm talking. We have What's a little it? bit of international uh, poll. There's a, there's a few international, but um, I mean, a lot of the just American beach volleyball fans. Right? Yeah, I'd say yeah, pretty awesome. much pretty much anybody who is watching the AVP on Amazon Prime. That's kind of our our audience. So a pretty beach volleyball centric. So they they know who Steino is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because you know, know I guess it's to. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's like you know more than ten years, you know, ten, twelve, fourteen years ago. <laughs> but uh, um, he was. I, I know a lot about the guy. Obviously, we grew up together, um, and he he was super special just cause he was so competitive even back in the day. And he wasn't necessarily so concerned with, I, I mean, I think he would say, I don't think I'm the most talented player uh, out there, but he just wants to win more than the other guy. And there were so, I have just so many memories of him young, you know, uh, in high school and then older in college. And then, you know, when he turned pro where he just, you know, wanted it more than the other player. Right. And so he was, that's a fun guy to be in the, in, you know, partnered up with, right. You get in a battle and he just, the trash talking starts going and he's right there. He's not backing down. You know, he yeah. wants more of it. 
That's what like uh, a little bit of that with Trevor right now because I mean it's the same same story basically. Uh, I mean, me and Trev as a team isn't uh, doesn't look good on paper, you know. Two two six five blockers, same size. Neither of us have played defense, but we're just charging it. Uh, and, and, and no one thinks you can play defense, right? No one thinks you can play defense. <laughs> so then when you scoop them, it's like super humiliating. <laughs> exactly. Little do they know, Hawaiian style, we can do it all. Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. Um, so you guys take that kind of underdog mentality, not underdog mentality, but like. Yeah. Um, well, Trevor you know. always had that chip on his shoulder. He's, I mean, Taylor's, you know, he, he's got that nice perfect game he's super athletic he's been at every level he's been you know top guy ncaa player of the year and he's your little brother so i think there's definitely a chip on trevor's shoulder in college he was playing basketball and then when he wanted to play in uh volleyball in college he had to get shoulder surgery so like he didn't get to do anything in college mm-hmm. so I think he's got that chip on his shoulder no one really expected anything from him but just straight like competitor, get it done. Pretty ugly, doesn't matter. And that's just like you're stoked to have that as a teammate, you know. Whether whether yeah. they have all the, you know, the physical gifts or not, it's like you just want your partner to just want it as bad yeah. as you, if if not more than you. Yeah, totally. You know, uh, losers bracket outside court, windy. Yeah, I mean, it's like not necessarily like the fun fun place to be playing but you gotta you gotta out want it so that's yeah. super cool i've always respected uh steino for that he kind of had it and then he really did kind of evolve his game right because he was a setter in college he wasn't like a polished spiker outside hitter who had all the shots and was used to hitting against a block he was he was setting so yeah. when he came out there <clears throat> he had to kind of develop his his offense right mm-hmm. and um I don't know if your fans know who Anginho Basile is, the Brazilian who uh, him and Jose Loyola were like this, the, the, the Brazilian team that came in during the 90s and were just crushing it. But uh, he, uh, that guy's so classic. Jacko, he taught Stano the pokey, which oh, I've never seen anyone do the pokey as much as Stein did. And <laughs> he, he was like, he was, he was a left sider. And he wouldn't take his offense to the antenna. You know, he didn't like the push set that kind of some a lot like Karch or other players like get out near the antenna because then you have your angle, you have really good angles and you have a line shot and you kind of, it's a nice place to be, you know, next to the antenna in the corner, you have a lot of space. Stein would rather kind of come to the middle of the court. So he was very, always rushing towards the middle of the court. So if you're on the block on the other side, everything, his body, his, his approach, his arm, it was like, okay, I better get this guy's ankle because he's yeah. coming in so hard. He's going to smash it cross court. Yeah. And it would just leave this little <laughs> corner in the front and he would just, boop, and he, it was like, almost like a, he was like doing it behind his head. It was almost like a reverse. Yeah. Like he'd come in and he kind of go, it was like almost over his right shoulder, not his left shoulder, like almost behind him that way, oh, like his right shoulder. And so it was, yeah. uh, like over the it was head. just, uh-huh. yeah. And I would always, and once you see it open, you know, as the setter, and I'm his partner calling out angle or line, I would just yell pokey because <laughs> it was just <laughs> so open. And, you know, it, there was not much you could do as a defense to really get it. I mean, you if you were a blocker, you had to drop to try and scoop it, but then you give up everything else if you can do that. Or if you're a defender and you want to go 
run all the way over there for that short one. You give up everything else to go do that. So it was just amazing how, how much he, uh, he really like made people pay with that. And it didn't matter. He would be open the next time he played them too. <laughs> I, I spend uh, I spend a fair amount of time with Stein because I cover the the college beach game a lot now. Go out ah. to a lot of tournaments and matches, and it's really funny to see the team with the highest percentage of poke kills is probably yeah. UCLA. So UCLA, just- right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, he's perfected, it and it was kind of try. You would appreciate this. It wasn't like the. Um, the the spear the hawaiian spear with the the three prong you know it was kind of like it was like the three prong that hit a big rock so it was kind of like broken you know (laughs) it looked kind of weird you can he did it and it was three touch points it was the these two plus the tip of the thumb wow and so he would just practice it all day long and just like just to get the feel of it and then he learned how to do it like i said he was not going this way it was kind of like almost going behind him I, I can picture it for sure, but dude, that's frustrating because when you're blocking, it it looks like they're open handing, you know. Uh, yeah, Eric Zahn actually used to do that, where you he would drag it with that big index finger. Yeah, it like, <laughs> yeah, it was so far down, like on his palm, his fingers were down. But I'm like, that's like almost open hand right there, <laughs> like because he's like, you can kind of catch it when you're bending your fingers a little bit. Yeah, it felt like they're like catching it and like just dropping it. But yeah, that's a yeah. great. I'd like to bring that one back into my game. I used yeah. to do a lot more like drop shots, open hand, like cutting, cuffing it. But yeah, well, you're taller too, though, so you, it, it's like. Um, I wonder if it's like easier if you're a little guy. You know, if you're doing a pokey and you're pretty and you're up high over the over the net, it's got you know it's going to take a while for it to drop. That's he was kind of blow that and kind of just like pop it, you know. So. But, yeah, I mean. Yeah. You have uh, just looking about your your partners. You, you, what an impressive list of, of partners you had in a relatively short beach career. I mean, you have like Stein, who's one of the greats, and he was like one of your good buds growing up. I mean, you got the call up from Karch and like your second full time year on the AVP. Started out with Lee Legrand. Oh, yeah. That's not bad, Mike. <laughs> yeah, not not bad. Learned so much. Karch was fun too. He was. Um, you know, he's like our Michael Jordan, right? He's like our guy, um, three gold medals, did it indoor, did it on the beach. You know, what was special about him, <clears throat> you know, by the time I got to play with him, he was 41, you know, going on 42. And, you know, so he wasn't the guy, he used to have like a 40 inch hop, right? He hops. He was, he had huge hops back in the day and was, you know, physical. But when I played with him, he was already crafting his game to uh, I mean people were serving him every single ball I mean all I did was set and it was he was easy to set because he passed so well but he would um he wasn't relying on banging the ball he was shooting the ball and the crate I mean there's I got so many good stories of him I mean um (laughs) well just firstly he was mentally first of all he was mentally just so on a different level I mean there were so many times and I thought I'd played at a pretty high level up up till then right I'd gone to Olympics and played against the best in the world indoor and on the beach. But there are a few people that are mentally just on a different level and they'll never drop their game, whether it's a practice against, um, uh, you know, a scrub team, uh, like a qualifier team or whether he's on center court against the best team, he keeps his level there. He never drops depending on who he is got going on across the net or what time of day it is or how tired he is or, whether the sun or the wind is doing this or that, you know, he was always, 
um, immovable. And I was, just, there were times where I'm like, man, I'm tired, but look at my guy. He, you know, he's not dropping. Okay. I'm not going to drop. You know, he was always there <laughs> constant, you know, just like the North star. It was just crazy. I mean, I remember one time we was, we had a, we finished our season. It was like, Oh, four going into Oh five. And we, we finished strong and we took two weeks off and then we were already training again. And, um, it was, we were on, I remember we were doing like this, um, medicine ball workout, chest tosses and like star runs. You just hold the medicine ball and try to run around in the sand <clears throat> with our trainer, Mike Wrangle. And it started to rain and it got super like just terrible weather. It's like, why do we want to be here? You know, let's get out of here. It was kind of like what would be easy to think that right. Yeah. And the weather was just terrible. And he was loving it. He's like, no one else is training today. This is awesome. And Cause he knew he was putting one, you know, one more like yeah, one more. training session in the bank while someone else was slacking and that gave him great pleasure. And it was just like, wow, you know, <laughs> if that's the way you approach it, I mean, that's, you're going to do more than the next guy for sure. Yeah. Do you feel like for Mark, it was like, it was that kind of stuff, like the, the training and the, the off the court, uh, stuff that he put in that that really separated him or just kind of like i mean i know he had it all yeah he also was super super talented like i mean he was a great passer but it's seen and how i would notice that is you know obviously his platform's good his footwork's good but you know in the in the on the beach with the wind the ball will do something that you don't think it's going to do and it'll catch you off guard. Yeah. And it always seemed like there were little things that I'd be like, he never gets caught off guard. You know, like even when he's supposed to, even when he's off guard, he's in control of his body. He's doing the movement that he's done a thousand times. Like, oh, it's going to throw me a curveball and I didn't expect it. I'll just do this thing. And I'm, you know, I'm still passing him now. It's like those little things. He always had like a counter move to everything. He was really good at covering the middle. So he was on the left and it's someone serving and it's curving away from him towards the middle right uh, yeah towards me and i'm supposed to go cover it because i'm like you know that's that's the job of, of me being on the right side of that ball he would take a step like this lunge sidestep and then get his platform out there at the last second and like save me i'm supposed to be the one covering the middle <laughs> you know trying to get served anytime i can right that was like uh, what we were trying to do he was so good at that like just little things i don't know technically right he was he just was so talented so it was mentally and uh, mental toughness and just natural talent. I think. Uh, is there is there stuff you think that you would have? Because you played with him. I mean, your beach career was the second half of your volleyball career, anyway. But yeah. is there stuff that you would have maybe uh, liked to have done a little differently in your career leading up to playing with Karch, if you had that knowledge before, or if you could like go back and give yourself, uh, like, I guess, advice. <laughs> Or like um, go and play beach, like had I gone and just focused on beach kind of thing instead of doing indoor? Yeah, or just like stuff that you learned from him. Yeah. Like what was like the <laughs> valuable stuff that you kind of learned that was like, well, if I had done this a little bit earlier. Yeah. If anything. <laughs> yeah, I guess train just um, how you train. You know, you, you learn how to, when you turn pro, you're learning how to be a professional, right? You're learning what it takes to be a professional, take care of yourself and, and do what you got to do. And I think he, he had had it so dialed in. So 
you know, had I been a young Mike, <clears throat> knowing how this is how you train to be the best, wow. then that's the path forward, you know, um, uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I do got to tell you guys a good, uh, one of the best cart stories though, okay. that some of, some of your viewers may remember. Um, I certainly remember it. And it was one of those like, wow, this guy's gnarly moments. <laughs> <clears throat> so it was 2004. We had just won two tournaments in a row. We won Manhattan Beach, which was um, the Manhattan Open. That was my first win ever. Um, and then the next weekend, we went down to San Diego and we won that one. And so we were kind of like, we had pushed through. As a team, we'd won our first tourney together and our second. And we were kind of like, okay, we're going to start. We're going to blow it out. And we went to Belmar, New Jersey, and we were playing Jeff Nygaard and Dane Blanton in like a, I don't know, somewhere up, you know, for fit, like winner's bracket, fifth round, you know, to get loser gets fifth kind of thing. Mm. <clears throat> I go up to two and it's like, uh, we're winning 20 to 14, I think it was. And I'm, and we serve Jeff. He's on the, he's the, the left, play on the left and I'm blocking line cartridges in the angle. He goes up line shot over me. And so Karch is like one, two, three steps and then lays it out to try and pop up the, the line shot um, and lands on the sand weird and, and dislocates his shoulder. Oh. oh, I mean, he's just like, when you dislocate your shoulder, there's, there's something about when a grown man gives out that kind of, um, that yell of pain. Yeah. That's like makes, we'll stop anyone just be like, ooh. And yeah. so it was kind of one of those moments. I mean, he was on, cent on center court with a dislocated shoulder. So everyone's like, okay, you're a medic. The medic comes from the player's tent. He's over there and trying to reduce the shoulder and get it back into position, which um, eventually happens. And so uh, um, we had our coach, Mike Rangel. It was, it was, that was kind of our threesome, Rangel, me, and Karch. And so – we're relieved. Okay. He's got his shoulder back in. Man, that was gnarly. That was so heavy. And, uh, Karch goes timeout, medical timeout to the ref. And I'm looking at Wrangle, our coach going medical timeout. What do you mean? Freaking tourney is over, man. Let's go home and lick our wounds. <laughs> we don't need a medical timeout. We need to go home. <laughs> you just popped your shoulder out. And, um, someone comes out with a big ice bag. We take this five minute medical timeout and we're all, a lot of people are, you know, Jeff and Dane on the other side and me and Wrangle and the refs are kind of like, you know, what's going to happen next? <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, you know, the five minutes are up. And so he wants to go and test it out and he picks up the ball and I kind of stand across from him and we're going to do like, you know, toss it back and forth, see how it feels kind of thing. And he throws it to me and he goes, Oh, <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, we're done. Let's go home. This is tournaments over, you know, like, uh, you know, it was a good run. We got a fifth. We're, we're all good. You know, let's go see a doctor, this or that. No. And so he wants, it's almost like Kobe. Remember when Kobe did his Achilles and then went and hit those two free throws afterwards and then walked off the court. It was, yep. it was like that. And so we go back on the court. Um, they're serving 15, serving 20 and Nygaard float serves and it goes out like maybe they were trying to give us a set or I don't know what it was, or maybe he missed on accident. So we win the first set and we go to play the second set and 
we start fooling around. He can't really hit the ball at all. He's got to baby it. So we start doing this weird eye formation thing where we start off in the middle and I'm in the front kind of blocking and he's in the back. Okay, this time I want to go to the right. This time I want to go to the left. And then we break. And then, you know, half the time the ball comes to me, which is ideal. Then I, you know, then I can pass it and hit and take care of the offense. And if I break to the left and he goes to the right, he'll try to pass it up on two because now I'm on the left. I can come up and that's an easier shot to do on two when yeah. I'm coming from the left. And so that was like, you know, a third of the time. And then the third of the time he would get it on the left and I had to set him and he'd have to, you know, yeah. and we end up winning that game and winning the match. <laughs> oh and then apparently like Dame Bland, someone saw Dane using the players tent, like just furious, like packing his bag. Cause now he's got to go to the airport and go home. Yeah. It's like, so Dane, what happened? He's like, I can't even beat Karch with one arm. And he's like, that's <laughs> stuffing. <laughs> Legendary. And then we went on and played another set. And we eventually, I think we got a third. We lost uh, Jake Gibb, who was partnered with Adam Jewell at the time. But it was like, we lost another third set barely. I mean, it was a good battle kind of thing. And but, still um, my formation? Doing the eye formation, yeah. Uh, <laughs> crazy. Like, I mean, think about that. He, I would have I would have thrown a towel in a long time ago. You pop my shoulder, I'm going straight to, you know, let's go home. <laughs> Done, deal. But, like, he was, he wanted to go win that tournament. <laughs> Still, one arm or two arms. It's, it's just a uh, few people think like that, right? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is you happen to be listening to Sandcast Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawarder, we hope you are keeping you uh, slightly entertained during these strange quarantine times during the coronavirus, but we just wanted to uh, put out a message that we hope that you are staying sane, staying fit, staying healthy, and uh, staying safe here over these next couple months. Hopefully that the coronavirus passes soon enough and we're all back to our normal lives, but here is just a get well message from Sandcast and now we move on to our sponsors who keep the show moving on and uh, we love Wilson. Wilson makes the best ball in the game. They came out with this new brand new really cool looking ball the optics which has spin detection technology so we can all pass that jump serve which Lord knows I needed and to get discounted rates on the balls which we will all need as we're going to enter preseason again here whenever this lockdown ends so we all need brand new preseason balls to get us ready for the 2020 beach volleyball season. The discount code is Wilson sand for discount on all equipment at wilson volleyball which makes the best balls in the game a big big thanks to our next sponsor pacific coast wealth management who's a big supporter of the laguna beach open and just the beach volleyball community in general they help athletes know where to put their prize money from either retirement to 401ks to iras and if you're not a beach volleyball player they can help you with college savings they can help you with all the money management you need they have incredible tools and resources at their website pacificcoastwealthmanagement.com so hit them up today and learn how to best use your money over the course of the season yeah i feel like when you look at the grades across like all sports they have that like whatever gene it is that allows them to do that mentally i mean you mentioned kobe he had it and then just watching i don't know if you're keeping up with the new michael jordan documentary the oh yeah but now but like he definitely had it <laughs> and so yeah I feel like every sport like they're great has that gene that allows them to just play with a dislocated shoulder and beat an olympic gold medalist <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Slater. I mean, there's, um, 
and it was just super, super cool. I was, you know, I got to be around that and be next to that and see what it's like, you know, kind of behind the scenes, you know, right. how's, how this guy actually operates, you know, and it was, it was rad. So he was super cool. He was really cool to me. Um, <clears throat> uh, was a very good teammate and enabled me anytime. Um, like that first year we played, I, I ended up getting MVP voted MVP for the tour that year. And any chance that he had to throw the spotlight on me, he did, you know, Oh yeah. You know, it was cause Lambo did this and Lambo started stuffing balls and Lambo, you know, he was always trying to put the spotlight on his partner. Right. Yeah. And it's, I actually talked to him about that. Um, cause he, he wanted to get my take on teammanship. You know, he's, he's working with the, he's the head coach of the U S you know, the national team. And <clears throat> he wanted to kind of bring some of that, um, to his team, you know, what does it mean to be a good team? And so he's like, Hey, you, you were a partner of mine. You know, what do you think I did well as a teammate? And so some of the things I said were, he was always so good at giving me props anytime he could and not trying to take the spotlight for him, but shine it on his teammate. And when you do that, all of a sudden I'm all like kind of puffing my chest, like, yeah, I am that guy stuffing balls <laughs> and doing good and doing that. Yeah. And then I get more confident and I become even more, um, uh, of what he wants, you know? So it's almost like he's feeding that, you know, you're kind of feeding your guy to get him all pumped up. He was, he was really good at that. Um, he was really good at letting go of a great play or a terrible play and moving on to the next play. Cause it's always about being in the moment. Right. Yeah. Um, so whether he did something great, he kind of had the same routine, whether he did something great or did something terrible, he'd kind of think of, you know, either celebrate it and then move on or like think about it and then move on. He was always like ready for the next play, which is super cool. And then I would say it was like this with Stein. It was like this with, with, uh, he had that too. Uh, Karch had it too. It's like, when you make a play, it's never, um, he wanted to, you know, there's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, if you make a great play on the court, there's like, um, finite amount of seconds where you've got like this crazy energy, like you've just done something and what do you do with it? Do you kind of like keep it all or do you go to your guy and like stare him in the eye and be like, ah, you know, I mean, and like share that with him. Right. And that kind of stokes the other guy's fire and you kind of, it can become kind of contagious. And yeah. he was always, anytime we did something great as a, whether it was me or him, we were right away trying to share that with each other, you know? And that's um, something that, yeah, uh, cool. gosh, that's, that's what you miss when you don't, when you stop playing, it's like, I'm, I'm never like going yeah! <laughs> out there in the real world. That's only on like the volleyball court. <laughs> did a sale. <gasps> yeah, I did a sale. <gasps> Let's go do another one. I, <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> I remember watching you guys play a little bit and, uh, like I have a clear picture in my head of you getting like a huge stuff and he started bowing down to you <laughs> yeah the there's the best guy the best player we've ever had and he's bowing down to me like who am i you know it's like okay all right well i guess you know i got some status now like you see you, you ever see that <laughs> <laughs> and that probably made me go stuff another ball later on down the line then i match or something you know so it was um yeah teammanship yeah i remember concept. Like, times in indoor too where it'd be like you could tell, like, when I was playing in Puerto Rico, it's super flashy. Everyone just wants to bounce balls. But someone would go and get a kill, and they'd be off, like, in the crowd, like, running around yeah. and stuff. And I'm standing over here, like, yeah, give me five, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, 
Oh, I guess, I guess you got all that glory. You know, it's not us getting the glory and, and indoor teaches you that, right? You see now the best teams are the ones it's almost like everyone does it now, but I, I would say back when I was um, playing indoor, you know, I guess at the peak of my personal indoor career, there were some teams that did it better than others where they all come in together. Someone makes a play, they all come together and they kind of do this, you know, yeah. this like semi-idle and kind of like share each other, you know, yeah. now everyone's kind of doing, everyone's been trained up on that, but it wasn't always that way. Huh. And that's, a, you know, if you stuff a ball, you shouldn't be running around going, Oh, you gotta go. You've got like, there's a few seconds where you can go share that. And then it kind of dissipates. Right. Yeah. I also remember that like when I was, when I first came out on tour playing with Hayden, like I would notice that, I get an ace or something and I, you know, I'd be stoked. They claim it and it'd just be on a huge high, like, or two aces in a row, something like that, you know, where you're just like stoked. But it was always the one after that. I, I knew I wasn't in this, like I was gone. I was gone from that zone that got me that first ace or even mm -hmm. if it was a block or whatever. I noticed there was always that trend of once I did it, I was like, Oh, I'm just, I'm the man in the stadium right now. And then the next few points I didn't have that anymore. So then I like yeah. noticed that trend and now nowadays it's more like, okay, see how long I can make that last. How long can I make that run? You know, can I be in that zone for six points in a row or however long, you know, not just like that one point and then claim it and like let that focus just go because you're stoked. And then be like, okay, shit, I have to play again. You know? Yeah, yeah, like uh, you know, the zone everyone's always talking about the zone, you know, what's it like yeah, to be in the zone kind of thing. I, I would say there was one time I really remember being in the zone for an extended amount of time. It was actually like 10 days. It was like a, it was actually an indoor thing. Uh, I was, we were playing and I just remember being in this <clears throat> mentally just thinking I was in the center of the wheel, right. As the wheel goes down, it's like, ah, oh, you're kind of your emotions, the wheel being the emotions and whether you're up on your emotions or down on your emotions, if you are focused on being in the center of the wheel, then you're neither tied to the high nor the low. And you can just, you know, kind of stay there. So if you, if you're conscious and thinking about it, it that's what would help me kind of get into that zone uh, more, you know, cause sometimes you got to forgive yourself. You screw up, you got to just let it go. Right. How that's hard to do. Like if you really mess something up, yeah. I mean, you're, you're thinking about it. You're like, man, that was a chance to get that point and be up by two. And I freaking chucked it or I did this. Yeah. And then you're not, you're not in the present. Right. And so it takes a lot of discipline to know that you screwed up, but also be for, to forgive yourself and then get back into the center of the wheel. Yeah. And then, um, you know, stay there. Like that's where you kind of want to be. Right. And then, then you can you have clarity and you can just worry about making plays and not, about uh, the higher the low. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that analogy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and steal that one. Yeah, <laughs> little yin yang. Yeah, I've heard uh, yes. keeping your highs low and your lows high kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get a little bit either get more towards the center, and you know whether you're on the top or the bottom, right? But at times you're you're thinking like, oh, why would I want to bring my high down? This is what it's all about. Like, I'm just gonna own it but then you realize later that it's so hard you you want to be playing here so it's the further you go up the harder it is to get back to where you need to be in five seconds and the further yeah. you yourself go down the harder it is to get to where you need to be in 
five seconds kind of thing. Yeah. Like you got to give yourself, uh, you got to be okay sharing the high. Cause like we were just talking about it, right. Yeah. You got to share the energy and you have this, yeah. you celebrate, you got to celebrate with each other and, and, um, keep each other going. But then you have to also, that has to have an end point. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, now you're getting set for the next play or the next action. Right. So knowing that there's always the end point. Yeah. So you played with, uh, try, you played with John Heiden. Yeah. And I think, and I think I remember that being kind of like a breakout period of your career. Right. Would you agree? Oh yeah. hundred percent. What was it like playing with Johnny? Oh, it was, I mean, that was legitimately the, the most ideal partnership at that time for me. Cause I played indoor for like a year and a half, Puerto Rico, Turkey a little bit. And then, I mean, beach was always my game just cause like playing in like the daddy Hain format and all the, the beach, the opens in Hawaii growing up. That's where I like, I would win tournaments indoors. I was like, I was not as good as the Punahou boys. And luckily I got to SC and got to prove myself there, but beach was always my game. So then I, I played, uh, I actually called up, Hayden when Sean Scott retired I know I called up Sean Scott because I was like oh I got the Hawaii connection I'm gonna I'm gonna have him and then he's like oh I retired you can call my partner though (laughs) and I was like okay I'll call so I called him and was just like hey uh, if you want someone to practice with or like help you get reps whatever I went out uh and then just I was like I mean I didn't think he would play with me but I was trying to like show him how good I am kind of thing you know and then uh, I remember like two or three months in, he hit me up or after practice, he came up to me at the car. He's like, hey, you want to you wanna give this a shot? And I was like, I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, um, what What do you mean? He's like, let's, let's play together. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I mean, if you want to play this season, like you probably can't go back and play overseas. I was like, bro, I'm, I'll fucking quit on the spot right now if you want to play with me. So then I did, and I was just taking it as, like, full-on listen to everything he says, play what, however he wants to play, that kind of thing. Luckily, I think he saw that I played a similar game to Sean Scott, like, similar mm-hmm. size. I think I kind of... Scrappy. Yeah, I mean, I love watching Sean play. I love watching all you guys play. Oh, yeah. yeah Sean like, was awesome. Yeah, especially as a blocker. Like, he was my favorite guy to watch because his hands and, like, keeping his head up and watching and, like, He'd be like going all over the place, but like his hands were so good. Um, but then, yeah, I just, I just took it all in and like embraced everything that I could learn from Hayden. I remember going to uh, Cincinnati and we were flying in and he's telling me, this is my spot, you know, this is where, <laughs> I, my, this is where I won my first event. You haven't won it yet. And you, and uh, yeah, when he played with you, you picked him up for like, one event or two events and he won his first avp in cincinnati oh that was like the perfect john hyden uh, event hard pack sand <laughs> oh, i had yeah. him on the left i was giving him the cart set yep and uh he was just chopping people up and yeah. at the time he was like kind of like ah, oh, he was, i think he was playing with andy witt at the time and i think you know he was even like semi not like he wasn't uh he was semi out of, sh- out of shape I remember when I picked him up and it was, um, but I believed in him, you know, I don't think he had gotten, uh, like, I don't think, yeah, he hadn't gotten to a final up until then. And I was like, I just knew John cause I played with him on the national team from back in the day. I played against him in college. I knew the talent that he had. And it was just a matter of time before he was, you know, did what he's, what he's done with it, with his career. And he's still playing. What is he? 47. He's a year older than me. I'm 46. Yeah. He's 47. 
and he's yep. still playing. That guy, oh my gosh. He, um, do you guys know that in college he played opposite and was crushing D balls and spent carrying San Diego State to victory like <laughs> week after week? And the only offense that San Diego State had, they had one or two other players. And everyone knew when you went to play San Diego State, they're going to set Johnny every single ball. He's the opposite. He's, <laughs> he's not small. Like he's six, five. He's not short, but he's not like, he's not what you think of as an opposite. Short, right? arm. short yeah. arms, the short, quick arm. That's what, yep. <laughs> that's why he's, he's almost like a, I think Canyon, I was talking to Canyon not that long ago and he was making the comparison, like kind of like an Adam Johnson game. Adam Johnson had a really quick arm too. Yeah. That's how little guys can stay on the court with all these, with all the big guys is that you got to have a quick arm, right? Taylor's got a quick arm. Yep. Like it's all about the speed of your arm. If you're going to be a little guy, that's yeah. how you're going to survive, you know, sloppy stuff and then having a quick arm. And uh, yeah, but I don't, you know, you don't think of him as the guy that you would set, you know, the, you know, match point set a D ball to, but he was absolutely that guy in college. <laughs> he had the NCAA record. Yeah. Right? He was held the record. Like I don't have it anymore. Cause it's kind of the new school scoring, but back in the day, no one could beat his record. I don't know what it was. It's like, 50 kills or something like that some crazy like 50 or 60 i don't know it was like some monster number of kills That's so insane. he was um yeah he's he's been uh and and you know he's okay so he's still playing and he's 47 so the guy takes really good care of himself try i think you can you've been around he's probably always had some concoction going in the tent pictures and this and drink and that drink and this powder. I, his trainer, I got invited to go into the gym with his trainer and I haven't left. I'm still working out with his trainer. Luckily for me, when we broke up, because I was I was sick for a while, yeah, that we weren't playing together again. And and his trainer, now my trainer, uh, was willing to take both of us because before he, he, you can't train anyone else except for John, you know. Yeah. But I mean, that's how much I I respected what he did and and how much I followed him. I was like in the gym with him. I've listened to all the dieting, everything he did. And he's, we finished season and I'm like, okay, let's go party, eat, whatever. <laughs> and he's in the gym. And I'm like, bro, it's the first day of off season. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? And, yeah. He, and he gets it. I mean, he does what he, what he needs to take or what it takes to play uh, where he's at right now. Like he would have been done a long time ago if not. Yeah. And I, you know what, I'm not surprised that he's still playing because back he was like that. He had that mentality, uh, even back in the day, like kind of the discipline to do because doing like a special kind of diet is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Right. I remember being, we were, we had both joined the national team. We both kind of graduated or he graduated from college. I was redshirting my senior year to be, we were both at the national team at the same time, basically 1995. And <clears throat> You know, you'd have a long, hard practice, and we were in San Diego at the time, and we'd go to Rubio's and just crush like a huge. I'd just get the biggest burrito I could get, and just mow that thing, and just be comatose after that. And like, you know, that's I, I was doing my job. Hey, I'd burnt as many calories. I'm not worried about getting fat. Like, give me the biggest burrito. Yeah, sure, it'll be you know chicken, you know white meat, chicken, and kind of healthy. But I'm crushing that whole thing. <laughs> Johnny was going the zone diet, which was like this fad back in the day where you had to do. 30, 30, 40 carbs, you know, uh, uh, protein and fat kind of thing. And he was like taking off the wrap, just eating the chicken, no rice and just the veggies. I'm like, 
man, guy, how do you have the discipline to do that? Aren't you freaking starving after that three hour practice? But he was already thinking like, um, okay, what's the best thing I can be doing for my body right now? Yeah. And he's already asking that question yeah. way back then. So not surprising that, uh, as a result, you know, he's, he's able to play until, I mean, he'll be 50 soon, right? That guy's still out there. It's crazy. Well, he's going to live to be at over 100 probably, too, if he keeps it up. He just <laughs> yeah, just shining out in Tennessee. Where is that guy right now? Just like, you know, no <laughs> Starting uh, Hyden Beach Academy, I believe, in, in Nashville. Yeah. He was a great indoor player. So he, so he was an opposite in college and then had to learn how to pass became a great passer. And then when we were going into our second kind of quad for Olympics, he was the one guy, him and Lloyd Ball had a great, he was like the only outside hitter on the whole national team who could hit the, you know, now, now everyone's doing it, which is like that super fast outside set, like a, like a go, but like, like really good, like where you gotta be almost taking off in the air on the outside before the setter is even setting it, right? Almost like a middle three, but all the way to the pin. And, and he was just telling Lloyd faster, faster, faster. And he, because uh, he had that quick arm yeah. and was the only guy that could do it, hit the angle, hit the line, hit a deep corner. He kind of had all the shots. Um, and he was the first guy to really run like, and I was the other outside hitter. And I was like, Lloyd, just throw it up higher, higher. Let me go and try and just, you know, I was kind of meathead more, just like, let me just go hit the highball kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and then he was the first guy to run the BIC, which is what you see now on TV, that really fast uh, back row middle set, right? Not everyone was doing it, but he could do it. I couldn't do it. I, I needed too much on a longer runway. So I thought I just was maybe stubborn, but <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a quick learner, you know? I mean, so props to Johnny. If he's, if he's out there, tell him, uh, I say, what's up. I'll text him, tell him uh, to give it a listen. <laughs> yeah we're talking john he did have a, a a sweet tooth so he's all healthy guy but he loves his chocolate he loves his, <laughs> his peanut butter cups you go you want to go get that guy throw him off his game you just start waving some peanut butter cups at that guy <laughs> or some fudge and he'll be you'll you'll get in his head and he'll just lose it so if you're ever playing against that guy just start yeah some have a nice like peanut butter chocolate on your yeah just dangle it on your necklace and you'll be like oh he would, he would take like, uh, he would make himself eat, he would get a four pack or something like that. And he would eat two each, each night or one each night of the tournament. Oh, just rations, like one teasing and himself and then not eating the whole thing. It's and, and still trying to like, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, not yeah. Yeah. oh my God, that's too good. Yeah. Plenty of stories about that guy. So I'm pumped up. Like, so my era Kevin Wong, Stein, um, you know, before that Owen McKibben way back in the day, there weren't many other Hawaii players that were on tour kind of thing. Right. So Owen McKibben's like kind of the first guy, then Legrand, uh, he's a little bit older than me, Wayne Seligson, Wayne O. And then Kevin Wong, um, Sean Scott, myself, um, <clears throat> Scott, Wong. Scott Wong too. And that was kind of like our generation. And then you guys, were the young grounds back then and then kind of taking over. It's just super cool for me. Like I get just being from Hawaii, I'm super proud when I see you guys out there playing, competing and doing good. You know, you, um, you know, even on the indoor side, the Shoji brothers, um, you know, Micah Christensen, uh, also like Hawaii produces, you know, talent, you know, and 
so I'm sure you've been asked this, why, you know, how come? And it's because we don't have pro sports. So everyone's playing what UH is doing and they always had a good, strong volleyball team. So you kind of get, you know, you hooked in as a young age into yeah. volleyball. Right. And then plus playing on, on the beach with the Alberger and the baby court. So I'm a big proponent of the baby court kind of like playing on a, when you're young, playing on a, a court that's smaller fit to your dimensions. So you can actually go up and try and tool somebody, you know, you're not doing that on a big net when you're, when you're super little, the course is too big for you. Right. You can't even block. That, that's how I learned how to block hundred percent. Yeah. Just battling for milkshakes that, you know, if you lost, then it was double or nothing. And then if you ever won, it was so hard to get someone to actually buy you a milkshake. Because <laughs> they would just double or nothing, double or nothing. And so you would just rack up this virtual tab and eventually you would win and you could, you know, you'd be out. You'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> we had our parents riding us. You could only get your tab up to a certain amount for the summer. So like a, a $5 milkshake's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Totally. We're getting more pissed about that, like just fully losing my temper and just freaking out. Lo by losing a milkshake, um, I was more like just losing it than I than I am nowadays, losing like like five grand or something. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, totally. That just uh, sticks with you. Good old days. Mike, you uh, you said one of your favorite traits about Karch was how he always made his partner feel like a boss. But all we've talked about it is how good your partners are. I think you've been doing much. <laughs> Thanks, well, stop those praises, loving Karch, giving Johnny Hyden a shout out, Lee LeGrand. <laughs> you weren't a bad Yeah, player. I mean, I, I guess you you got old Lambel out here on your show, and I just want to think about the good times. And you know, when I think about it, it's 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 the people you're around, right? And um, and what they're doing, so. To me, that's what sports is all about. And yeah, I sure, sure like reflecting on all the, all the good times. And you and, have uh, a lot of them too. What, uh, one thing I was curious, uh, you were able to make that transition from the, the top peak of the indoor, like you mentioned, 96 and 2000 Olympics. And then your first like full season on the beach, you were offensive player of the year and rookie of the year in 2002. Yeah. Um, I would say the, being an outside hitter makes it easier because you know how to hit. And if you're on the national team, you oftentimes you're going against a three man block, you know, and a big three man block. So it's like, I'd be, you know, happy if I just had a two man block and thrilled if I just got hit against one blocker, it's like, Oh, this is a freaking dream. I got all, I can go here. I can go there. Yeah. So when you go on the beach and that's all you have to hit against is one guy as an indoor player, if you can figure out your timing, at least, you know, cause there are some struggles you got to sort out uh, coming onto the beach, you figure out the wind. And, um, it's, that's the easy part. And the blocking I found was relatively easy, at least to get someone who wanted to hit the ball. Um, <clears throat> I, I could find, I, you know, that was easier to, to do. I think I had pretty good hands, good enough where it was, uh, I didn't have to, well, I, I got to play with Lee and he was shanking everywhere. So, I mean, I got really good at my footwork and like trying to get into position. So I got to thank Lee for shanking balls. Cause then I, I really had to be tight on my fundamentals to give him a decent set. And then I walked in the car and it was just like, then it was just like a dream. Like, Oh, yeah. there it is. Same thing. I'll give you the same set. So not all indoor players have hands that are uh, usable on the beach, you know? Like I don't like Hyden doesn't have great hands. He's a bump setter, right? <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. 
<laughs> but he would way rather bump set you than hand set you. Well, he'll, set, he'll hand set everything in warm ups, and then he'll. He yeah, won't. what the heck, Johnny? Come on, freaking have some confidence in those hands of yours. Why are you gonna go to the bump set? Yeah, <laughs> you know? He's probably the best uh, transition bump setter I've ever. Like, okay, and he'll say, "Yeah, yeah, Lambo, because I am the best transition bump setter. So why do I need my hands?" Is his response <laughs> then, right? <laughs> Nygaard was an indoor guy who had good hands. Yeah, not everyone's got good hands, so that's like a big, like that'll break your beach career because then, oh, he can't set. Okay, let's make him set every single ball. Oh, yeah. that's not fun for you, is it? We'll right. have another. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, like, I mean, I actually got offensive player of the year playing with Hayden. Um, and I enjoyed hitting off his bump sets because something I, I watched an old match the other day actually, and I noticed he errors inside for me a lot. Like if he's gonna error, he's not pushing. Ah, uh, so you catch the blocker. Yeah, uh, he's, he's got to make that correction. Mm -hmm. Exactly, the block. It's harder for a blocker to move their feet than it is for for me. It's to true. Get the ball. No, no, you bring up a good point. Like it's harder for you as a hitter. But if you've got a big enough window as a hitter, and you do because you're kind of like a big stick guy, just give me the ball, put it up there, I'll put it away, then he has a big window to move into, and then that that's harder to manage as the opposing blocker. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Like, and, and now I'm like with Trevor, he's a pretty accurate hand setter, but I feel like I always have the block in my face now, you know? Like I yeah. move it around, and, but hiding kind of, I don't think the block could really know exactly where it's going because it's that bump set, so felt like mm. I could chop around the block and the block was kind of moving. Yeah. I, um, I could talk about blocking all day. That's, that was my fun. That was the most fun for me as a player. That's Just trying team. to, cause trying to figure someone out. Right. Cause normally we would zone in on one player and try to like crack him at some point during the match, usually yeah. towards the end and just try to be like, okay, he likes that one. He likes that one. Kind of, okay. And, and it, it's, it's that chess match, right? It's yeah. cat and mouse, which is, it's hard to see on TV, I guess. But as a player, that's all it is. You know, you're just trying to break one guy somehow, some way. Like, uh, <clears throat> and that was always fun to try and get somebody. And if you could get them once, you had a really good chance of getting them again. And if you could get them twice, you kind of had them in a corner. And if you get them that third time, boy, it was, you know, you could really... <laughs> keep them in the corner and they just had yeah. nowhere to go. Especially if you have a great defender behind you who's thinking the same thing. Yeah. And you just, that was so much fun. When you put someone in the corner like that, that's, that's the best. <laughs> like they start a, for high hands and then you pull it. They, yeah, they start feeling like they're the victim. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's my set. Trap set, I mean, you know. <laughs> but I, I, Good. Okay, one more thing about blocking. Just because I, um, maybe, you know, did you feel like, um, <clears throat> I feel like I had to change as a blocker. Like, uh, being a real, I mean, 6'6", six, six, I'm not that big. I do have longer arms. So I, I could get over the net, but I'm not like the biggest guy, per se. I did, okay, jump. I mean, but I was, I could stuff a guy who wanted to hit the ball hard. Um, but it was the little guys that would frustrate you, right? Because they, and I finally sort of kind of started to figure it out where if you're playing against the little guy, sometimes you don't want to be the big, huge block because then you've got all this real estate by your elbows and they're chopping you and they see that yeah. it doesn't work. The same block that you would get a big guy with is not going to be the same block you get the little guy with. 
-hmm. And I remember being, oh, and it was, for me, it was like, yeah, it was stepping away from the net and giving some space between, because if you're close to the net and you're trying to get over, you'll get the big guy for me. And if I was stepped away from the net, I would still get over, but I'd be, I wouldn't be like way over. And it was, and I, the little guys hated that. Like they couldn't be like, ah, oh, man, I normally see that. Where is he? Come on. But if you, you're not as big because you're further away from that. Now when you press, when you penetrate over that, you're more just like that. And you're just getting the little, cause the little guy is not going over you. Right. He's just going around you. So you need to get that stuff. So I remember like, ah, oh. I finally, I remember I finally started blocking this guy, Dax Holdren, another legend. And he could just chew you up because he had a really good wrist, good vision. He wasn't going over you, but you were, he was super slimy. And then I remember I did that one game and I got him like twice. I think, and, you know, which was a lot for trying to get a guy like Dax. Yeah. And going, ah, oh, I like that. The little guys, you got to step, if you're a big guy, you got to step away from the net and you get your hands more doing the blocking and not like your elbows doing the blocking. You know yeah. what I mean? I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I never thought of it that way, but I'm, I'm the same way. Like I noticed I'm a hit first guy and I, mm. and I kind of try to hide and like pop out, but then I'm always up early on the hit. Uh, and to get those small guys, I noticed you could kind of almost like, I think Sean did it a lot and Jake kind of does it where he kind of breaks his elbow and that kind of like, Oh yeah. Gives you that same, same effect maybe. Yeah. And then you, and you're kind of like sealing like what would be they're getting under you here. Now you're smaller block, but you're sealing that really well. Whoa, gosh, I never got to try that one where you go <laughs> up and then you give the Batman. Yeah. Under you, the small guy can go under that split. And you just go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then you just leave your face wide open. Oh, yeah. Here and then break this one to take that low angle. I didn't actually um, notice Sean doing that. Jake does it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He kind of put that one in my pocket. Yeah. Interesting. And then it goes the other way, too. Like there were, like Jake, for example, I remember playing against him. And when he would hit on the right, Oh my God, he, he, just he, he has that, sh well, I don't know what his offense is now. I might've changed, but back then he'd like to be near the antenna and he had like the sharp, it wasn't like a hammer, but it was not a cut shot. It was definitely like a, like a, a wrist, like a top spin, you know, chop to the sharp sideline. And you either had to, you know, I could get him, but I had to like kind of be on his seam and then take a step and then jump way into his angle and then maybe yeah. get it. <clears throat> and I could never... So you would, you know, if he hit it line, I had a better chance because he, um, but if he hit it like the middle of the court, like area six back line, I could, I wasn't tall enough to get it the way I blocked. And then I figured out, and then I got it, but I did get him a couple of times, but it was a different block than I, I would only do this type of block against him only for that type of hit for that like high area six one. The one that normally kind of splits you and you either touch it with one hand or the other, you don't really feel like you're doing anything to the ball right he's gonna if he, if he hits that shot you're just like oh whatever yeah, but if you just kind of block straight up like terrible form <laughs> like terrible form like you were you're not penetrating but you're all you, your hands are here for that area six high and then it would and it would go and it wouldn't go straight down but it would kind of go back towards his back line and you could get him 
And I was yep. like, oh, that's a nice one. So you got to have all these little tricks that you use on the different players, right? Exactly. Close to the net, away from the net, you know, arms like this or bunny hop to this one. Like yep. that's how you, you'd be a great blocker, you know, I yeah. think. Right. Tri's notebook is filling up over there. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm still. I'll give you all my tricks. I'm <laughs> you're gonna get some calls pretty soon, man. Yeah, and then there's the Rosie side to play against Rosie when he was in his prime, or you know coming into his prime, and he had his line bounce, and so you didn't want to get humiliated by that thing too much. Although it would happen, it was just unavoidable. Yeah, Vegas line. Everyone talks that up. That was against me, bastard. But we did win the match. We did win the match, Rosie. So, <laughs> yeah. So, some of my favorite matches that I've watched because I've I've been watching a lot of the the older AVP matches is you and Karch when you played Rosie and Larry Witt. You guys had some battles. Yeah, Larry was the guy we were always trying to crack, but he was good. Larry was a uh, he was stubborn. He was, Those were he fun matches. Yeah, they were super fun. Um, uh, really good team. And that was the, um, yeah, that one in Huntington, right? Yeah, that's the yeah. one. I think it was maybe uh, like 17-15 in the third or something maybe that went in, in the finals. Did I get Rosie for match? What did I do? I think Gosh, there, I the one in Huntington, I got Rosie for match. Ended, but that I, was... Uh, so uh, that match, though, that one, that's that block again. That was that weird Area 6 one. That's how I got Rosie on that last one. He was burning me the whole freaking game. The whole game, he was kind of – he had that one. And then on the last play, I'm like, Karch, serve Rosie. Well, he wasn't burning us the whole game because we were serving Larry. But when we got when we did serve Rosie, I couldn't touch him. <clears throat> and on that one, I'm like, I'm going to give him that weird kind of like hands together one where yeah. give up all the stuff that I'm supposed to be blocking <laughs> around the side. I just get this one, and that's the one I got him on. That's like the hardest one to make yourself do as a blocker because you're like, I'm giving him so much court. Yeah. But I'm taking that one thing that I think he's going to do. Yeah, and I think he's going to do it right now because he got away with it this whole game. (laughs) And especially on a guy like Rosie, who, like you mentioned, who could, at that point in his career, like could just hit pretty much any angle possible. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I had a special block just for him. I was like, (laughs) it was like the right hand, it was like the don't get burned by the rosy line bounce hand. Right. And so you, you would just park it there and you wouldn't have to put it very high over the net. You'd have to put it like just right here. You didn't have to go high to get it. You just had to go really wide and turn your hand in. So it would bounce back into the, you know, into the court, give you the point, not, not him a tool. And I would leave that thing there. And then this hand would chase everything else. What else I thought it would do, but no matter what, I didn't move this guy. And the moment you did was the one was the moment that he would bounce it. <laughs> so, the first time I played uh, Ricardo, because he has that wham down the line. I oh, like and he did it. I mean, I was like a rookie. Parked this thing. I was like that Ricardo line bounced. No, yeah, it's this this hand is like it's like the slow. It's like that lure that you throw out. You know, you're just leaving it there. You're just okay. Just Body drifting, but you're like no. Well, no matter what, it's always there. And yeah, it's sooner or later, I know you want to hit that one. I know you want to get your glory. Come get it. <laughs> the hitter, it's worth it, right? You're like, especially for Rosie. I mean, he still gets a few highlights played on YouTube. 
Yeah. Nobody remembers you getting blocked on that one. It's the one that you get the perfect pocket. And, and yeah, no one remembers. No one, no one remembers you getting stuff, but they all remember you bouncing it into the stands. Yeah. I had uh, <laughs> Phil in my first Manhattan <laughs> final, and I had Phil, and it was just like the perfect set, and I just freaking went for it, knowing like it's probably not the best swing, but if I <laughs> if I connect with this thing, like I might get like a highlight reel on Phil, and like. <laughs> He left his hand there. No oh. And it was like almost simultaneous. Like his hand was almost on the ball. Like, bah! I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> like straight into that. I almost like caught it. I was like, oh, all right. That didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that's like just hearing you say like that you'd park a hand here and like leave it. Like I don't hear many blockers talk like that. A lot of people think it's a two-handed thing. And I think the elite ones are the ones that, understand like okay i'm my responsibility is this so i'm gonna take that and now i'm free with the other hand to do seam low low angle take the steam you know whatever yeah um, i think a lot of people don't think of blocking that way and that yeah it's yeah super fascinating for me too yeah that's the indoor i mean indoor you have to you're in a system right yeah you play a role like i'm the line i'm over here i'm gonna give my defender this much line so he can dig that one i'm not gonna give the hitter too much line i'm gonna block here i'm not gonna steal the seam from my middle because my middle is gonna do that you're you're one of six and you gotta play your role because if you start hogging the the space going after you know you're gonna you kind of break the system down yeah it's hard to defend behind that it's hard to block with that Mm -hmm. but man i hated that because i thought i was always a better blocker than a lot of guys and i was like I'd set it up and I'd be like, you're hitting angle, but I'm supposed to just stay here. Why am I here? Like, I want to go block that ball. But you're letting your middle come and, and do it so that you, your defense is set up behind you. I hate yeah. <laughs> well, Lambo, uh, a, lot of, a lot of your buddies got uh, involved in coaching. I mean, you mentioned Karch. She's on the national mm-hmm. team. We got Johnny Hydens down in Tennessee with his own academy. Steinos winning national championships at UCLA. Yeah. Do you ever, uh, have you ever thought about getting into coaching, um, be it in the States or where you are, where you're at in Italy? Yeah. Um, why didn't I, um, a lot of people do. <clears throat> I think for me, uh, it was, I had two kids and I just thought I had, I needed to make more money. And I thought like being a coach, you kind of have to, it's a longer play. Uh, to build up a nice career and then be doing the summer camps where you can make some cash and then do your uh, whatever if you're a college coach here or there I and there's only a finite amount of those spots available right and they only come up now and then you kind of have to get lucky with the with the creation of you know the women's beach volleyball as an NCAA sport that opened up a whole new so you know Danes in there now Steins in there but like would they be doing indoor if they hadn't done the beach thing like there there aren't there isn't a big pool of available um jobs for that and the club thing is cool too uh that's a lot of work that's kind of like a passion project again i was like let me i want to go get a job in sales and go try and make some coin and um support my family that way so yeah i kind of remember being at that crossroads just going okay I'm like top rung of the ladder here. I know a lot of stuff. I could probably help people and teach people. Uh, I'm going to go be a bottom rung of a ladder down here on this whole other path. I've kind of always done that though. I've never been afraid to just go try new stuff, you know? Um, even moving over here to Italy two years ago, I was 
doing medical device stuff. Um, <clears throat> you know, being a sales manager, I was a rep and then got to a sales manager and then kind of, you know, you build up a career getting this knowledge of one particular subject. And then I decided to go and get into digital marketing and because th that would allow us to be wherever we wanted, right? Just as long as I had internet, I didn't have to be tied to a location. And that's how we could get our family over here and get our kids the experience of living in Italy and all that kind of stuff. So I guess I've kind of not been afraid to just try different things. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to see Steiner doing as well as he is, you know, he's, he's such a proud Bruin. There's, there's few Bruins more proud, more proud than Stein. <laughs> he loves his, the heritage, gone to, gone to UCLA, won a bunch of titles, played for Al Skates. And now here I am, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that guy's classic. Uh, and what a better guy to, to play for, you know? So those girls are lucky. They got Stein as a coach. Okay. He's, uh, he's, he's good dude. Um, yeah. So long winded answer to your question there. <laughs> it's fun though that you, uh, I mean, you must be a pretty good learner that you just kind of like pop from, from spot to spot. And I know that like indoor and beach aren't that, aren't crazy different, especially for an outside, but like, you know, top of the wrong indoor, went to the beach, learned it pretty fast. And then, you know, you did sales and now you're in digital marketing. So you must be a pretty quick learner. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta want to be curious, I guess, first of all, right. To want to, you know, that's the first stage of wanting to learn something is being curious about it. Um, and just, uh, yeah, af not, not afraid to get outside your comfort zone. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's always, even when I went to Italy for the first time, I mean, I was grew up in Hawaii, right. What do I know about Italy? And I went over there and I went over there and learned the language. Now I speak fluent Italian, although my kids would, it's really hard having, I have a 13 year old and a 14 year old. And now that they're pretty fluent in Italian, right. Cause they're so young. Yeah. They tease me all the time about my <laughs> Italian. And I have yet to meet an American who speaks better Italian than me. Like right. all the other Americans, ciao, buongiorno. They have these crazy yeah. accents. And I'm like, ciao, buongiorno, come stai? Uh, cosa facciamo oggi? Oh, come stai? Yeah. And so, but they hear it. And so they always tease me about it. So I feel like I'm the immigrant dad, like in some sitcom, you know, with the bad English company <laughs> or the bad Italian in this case. Yeah. <laughs> Love That's it. funny, but well, speaking uh, of uh, Italy, we got to ask uh, how how are things going over there? How's this whole COVID um, process been? You're, you're yeah, in the middle of since it. March March 9th, we've been in lockdown, and um, it's been hard. I guess it's been super hard for. I feel more bad just for our, our kids, just because they have like no social life. You know they it's, I think it's harder. Like for me and my wife, yeah, if we were just locked down, we could figure it out. Right. But for a kid, that's pretty, you know, you don't you take away your sports, you take away everything that you do. Um, that's hard. It's been, um, yeah, we're all kind of a little bit stir crazy. Um, May 3rd is when we supposedly get some freedoms back. Um, and we can at least walk around. We'll probably have to wear a face mask. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a little nutty. Uh, the Italians are definitely, you know, struggling and, and businesses are, you know, can they open? Should they open? Who's going to come? Right. Most people are worried about the summer. Will I have a vacation? Will I be able to go to the beach? Yeah. You know, can, you know, so it's, it's a lot of doubt and, uh, and whatnot, but uh, yeah, we'll work through it. <laughs> Trickier. Like, yeah, we were supposed to be there. Uh, Rome was supposed to be the, um, 
the final event of Olympic qualification on May 15th. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Think about all you guys trying to like go to, the <laughs> how crazy is that? Seasons being canceled, huge yeah. events like the Olympics being canceled for the, you know, I mean, it's just crazy to think about how that's imp impacting you guys. Yeah, for sure. That's, um, you know, tragic, but, um, you know, hopefully it's given you time to do and try different things too as well. Right. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Oh. All good. We're all, uh, we're all in the same boat, you know, everyone's got their thing for sure right now. But, uh, I was, well, we have world, we have world champs in Rome, uh, 2022 Travis. Is that what it said? Yeah. I think it got moved or er, yeah, it got moved to 22 and then there's another one in 23. So we go Olympics, world champs, world champs, Olympics, which is pretty cool for the sport. Wow. You in Rome, uh, 2022. You got to make wow. that. Drive. That's, yeah, if it's in Rome, that's not that, that's not that far away. So, yeah, I'll come check that out for sure. There we go. Love it. Well, Lambo, we appreciate you coming on. Um, I know you got some kiddos back there who uh, want to hang out with dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's 1130 at night over here. I think that's my wife. She's going, come on. Come on, let me, just let me go to bed. Thanks for staying up so late. I forgot about the time switch. Yeah, I did too. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh no, that's that's. Uh, um, I kind of work this this shift to kind of for what I do, so it's all it's all good, all good. It was great getting so, to talk to you. Yeah, good catching up. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, good luck with uh, your seasons when they start up, and and you know keeping in shape and and all that stuff. So. Yeah, super cool. Thanks, Lambo. Well, uh, we'll be in touch. We Sandcast might even need to hit you up for some of that digital marketing work. <laughs> We're trying to figure, trying out to figure it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Anytime, guys. Cheers. Right. Aloha.